I've had a bun there from my brother and it's made my throat all thick now. So what the hell is a bun? Uh, a bun, a bun. What is a bun? B U a B U N. Stop saying bun. It's a B U a bun. B U N. Jesus, I'm, I'm <laughs> you're it's your bloody Irish accent, man. A bun? What's a bun? bun? What's a what's a what's a bun? I never heard of a bun. A B O N. Exactly. That, but that's what you're saying. Your brother made you a bun, and I had no idea what you're talking no, he about. Brought why me why a would bun. it have any? Why would it have anything to do with your throat either? <laughs> well, because it's it was it was made with cream. Anyway, okay, let's crack on. Um, <clears throat> okay, welcome back, everyone. This is Tokyo Jazz Joints Podcast, and this is Six Kyushu Joints Part Two. Uh, James, you left us on a bit of a cliffhanger uh, in the last episode, uh, and uh, thanks to COVID and obviously geography, I'm currently living vicariously through your experiences and your recent trip to Kyushu. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've been to the three places, James. Um, you started on a Thursday night uh, in a rainy uh, Miyazaki. You went to a couple of places. We had Lifetime, then we had Far Cry, and then the following day you headed up the coast a bit, which was the Friday, and you went to yet another downbeat. And then we decided to break it there and stop, and you kind of left it dangling a bit because you reckon that the next place that you went to is going to blow even those three amazing places out of the water. So no pressure, but where did you go to next? Well, the next joint, um, which was about a maybe a 10 or 15 minute walk um, through Takanabe, again, quote marks, city, um, to a, a little street where there were a bunch of different, like, you know, sort of yakitori, you know, small Japanese pubs and snack bars and whatnot. Um, and I come across, I, I had known the address, I had spoken to the owner on on the phone. It's a place called Dolphy. He said that, uh, you know, the opening hours uh, generally at 8 p.m., uh, but in the afternoon, uh, he's open as a curry shop. So uh, if I'm going to be coming in between the, the, the afternoon curry cafe and the jazz bar, just to call and let him know. So already I was rather confused because we've been, Philip, you and I have been to how many? More than 150 places just together. Yep. And they have different shapes and they have different, you know, uh, ways of doing business, but we've not encountered one that's open as a curry restaurant. The, the closest I think we came was was the was it Jazz Kappa, the place that was a, a kind of an izakaya with it, it was almost like a a jazz kisa that had evolved yes. into a izakaya, right? Because they still had a, this great sound system. Right. They still had some records, but, but it, was it was a very kushiaki much like a restaurant. restaurant. Yeah, like fried kushiaki, fried yeah. snacks and beers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was in, in also in Kyushu, actually, in Kumamoto. It was, yeah. yeah. That's right. So I, you know, I, I come down and uh, I get there and it he's not open yet. Uh, but I see this absolutely <laughs> remarkable um, just, you know, shudder which is the cover of Eric Dolphy's Out to Lunch. You know, the kind of like shutter gate that you pull down. Yeah, you of know? course, yeah. And um, and I'm just like, oh my God. I mean, that that was worth coming to Kyushu just to see this because we, we've never, I mean, we've seen, you know, I love a good jazz bar sign, okay? Especially when they're lit up and the kind that you put out on the street, like a little lamp, you know? That's very, the kind of the classic thing you think of a Japanese urban landscape are these signs that are out there. But I, we've never seen one, we've never seen a, a, a gate 
that was painted like this. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I was just knocked out. So, you know, we, we, you know, I wait around a few minutes and I wander around the neighborhood. I come back and then he's in there. And again, he's waiting for me, you know, cause I had, I had come and left and uh, he's like, Oh, great. Come on in. You found it. I was a little worried because I didn't know how to reach you. And, and, you know, and I was like, but I, I left you my cell phone number. He's like, Oh, you know, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't use uh, cell phones. I, I'm analog again another analog guy so immediately i was just completely happy to talk with him anytime you hear that you know you're going to get some good jazz stories so i sit down um his name is fujisawa-san he is 61 years old um he's been running dolphy for uh, about 30 years they opened he opened in 1993 um first had a little bit of a smaller counter bar and then he moved to the current place which is pretty large i think you could probably get about 40 to 50 people in there he said 75 if they're doing a gig but I, that would be a little bit tight um but he so he's run the place there now for you know 22 years uh, since 2000 he's how can i describe this guy i mean he has a collection of Scotch whiskey in there that I think would uh, impress even a bar in Scotland. I counted 42 different distillery brands just behind the counter. And he said, oh, no, 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 there's much more uh, if I go around back. He said he has over 75 types of scotch. So, wow. again, we, you know, we're, I'm just thinking to myself, oh, shit, you know, it's 6 o'clock. I've got to get the train back, but I think I might want to start drinking scotch with this guy. Um, but but he said it was too early to drink for him, so I just stuck to having a beer. Um, but that that jumped out at me. I mean, the, the amount of, of distilleries that, that he was able to hook up with from way down in Miyazaki, I asked him about, you know, how, how did you do this? And he said, well, some of these brands, it was really difficult. I actually had to write to them in Scotland and ask them to hook up with a Japanese, uh, you know, uh, trading company so that they would send it here. Uh, some of the brands that he was selling, I mean, you know, I, I think he said the most expensive one was about 6,000 yen for a shot. So the, what is that, about $50? Mm. So you're talking, you know, some pretty rare whiskeys. In addition to that, obviously, he's tons and tons of records. Um, I would say he had about maybe 3,000 behind the bar. But the coolest thing of all was that I asked him about the history of, you know, again, I'm so interested. Whenever we go to these regional places, what was the jazz scene like? So we talked about in the last episode that at Far Cry, Kusano-san was talking about Sonny Rollins. And so Fujisawa-san said right away, oh, yeah, 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 of course. You know, I I, I was at those gigs. I, I've seen Sonny Rollins play many times here. And he started talking about how, you know, it was really important that they bring those jazz musicians to Miyazaki because they don't go to Tokyo very often. He said that he's only been to the, you know, to the Tokyo metro region maybe two or three times in his life and very rarely even goes to Miyazaki City. So he said that it was, you know, him and his regular customers through the years made a really, really concerted effort to work with the local university to promote and to basically sponsor these kinds of jazz events. And that kicked into a memory, Philip, do you remember when we went to Mokuba in Guma? the site of yeah. the famous Tachibana recording. And we asked him about, you know, how did you guys fund this? And he said that, well, they often would play either in the sort of local city civic hall or they would play at a university auditorium and the universities would sort of subsidize it. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of kicked in that a lot of these regional towns, one of the ways they could do this was because they were getting some support from the universities. 
So in the midst of this conversation, we're going back and forth. And, you know, he's telling me like, you know, I, and again, I asked him, I was like, okay, you said you don't have a cell phone. So I guess that's why you don't have a website. He's like, no, I don't have a website. I have a scrapbook. <laughs> he pulls out a gigantic, gigantic loose leaf ring binder, which must have 300 pages in it. And he starts showing me pictures from the last 30 years of Everything from him hanging out with the art ensemble of Chicago when they drank sake together, playing in Miyazaki, right next to him holding like a 30 kilogram fish that he and his buddies had caught, brought back outside of the jazz bar and fried it up right there on a little barbecue in front of Dolphy. So, I mean, we're talking about this is not Tokyo. Okay, this lifestyle is completely different. He shows me all these pictures of him fishing cycling and then sitting next to like Art Blakey when Art Blakey played Japan in the 1980s and uh, you know one picture after another in this old scrapbook and he's like yeah this is my version of a blog but you know I, I I've looked at the internet but I don't know how to use it so you know I just keep these pictures and I show people when they want to see them and I, I, Philip how many times have I said this man we've walked into places not knowing what we're going to expect but this was the last thing I expected was to see him sitting next to Joseph Jarman in the art ensemble. And then the next picture is some gigantic, frightening looking creature from the sea that they just immediately fried up and started eating outside of Dolphy. Um, it's astonishing, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, it, it's so, I mean, where do you even start? I mean, I think to me, you know, the first thing you've got to kind of bear in mind is that not only in this tiny place, uh, um, Takanabe, which, you know, we're, we're sort of loosely calling a city, not, not only, and, you know, we've all had that experience, you maybe go to a small town or, and you find some amazing restaurant or bar or record shop, but the fact that there's two of these places, two of these stunning, like, jazz cafes in this same tiny place is, is the first thing that stands out to me. But I think also what's really interesting, and, like, I've been starting to look at this a lot in my own sort of like research around photography and this idea of like collecting and archiving and how much overlap there is, you know, and, and just to hear not only is it records, but like also he's kind of creating this archive of, of whiskeys. And then that also extends to this kind of mentality where you're recording everything in a scrapbook and documenting your life in that way, which is what we're all doing, like by posting every day on Instagram. It's just that he has chosen not to make that move online, mm. but there's something about that mentality, and I think it, it it does really come across, particularly with with record collectors. And there's actually quite a lot of research written about you know collecting and this mentality around records and how you create a collection and how it helps you and to understand the wider world and see the wider world. And like it's just fascinating that not only is he doing that with records, but also with whiskeys and then like his own life and mixing like his kind of professional in in quotation marks his professional life as this bar owner and his private life like as you know a fisherman and hanging out with his mates and stuff i mean it's just it's staggering and also i just love the 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 poetry of sitting outside a huge shutter that says out to lunch and frying up <laughs> fish in the street i mean what you couldn't write it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's funny, but I, like you said, I mean, and what's interesting is, that, you know, we've we've visited uh, so many places with much, much older owners. Fujisawa-san is 61. That's only 13 years older than me. And yet I felt that there was definitely a distinct, at least a technological divide, because 
you know, he's showing me pictures from this old scrapbook. And then I'm pulling my phone out to show him some pictures from Instagram of the places I've been visiting. Yeah. Um, but, but the sentiment was the same. And as you mentioned about the collector aspect of it, um, not just that sort of, uh, sort of, you know, ethos or, or, or interest, but there's something very uniquely Japanese about that. Like it's not a coincidence that whether it's jazz albums or whether it's people who are maniacal about collecting anime or whatever. I mean, if you look at so many different genres of things, the world's top collectors are often in Japan. And you know that from living here. Like when Japanese uh, fans of something dive in, they're going to dive in 100% and become more knowledgeable about it than an expert pack in our in, yeah. in our own countries. That's just a fact. I mean, we've met them in so many different, not even just music. It could be anything. It could be baseball. It could be films. Like when people study something here, it's it's part of the way that they study it. They don't do it at half measures. And no, so, I think it's, it's an attention to detail, I think, which, you know, again, you see all over Japan, you know, uh, in every aspect. But I think there's also, there's a kind of a completist mentality, I think, so it, you know, it's it's you you're in, and you're all in. You know, so you're in there to get the rarest records or the most complete set. Um, and we've seen that, haven't we? I mean, wasn't it in Big Boy where he had like that complete set of Blue Note? That's right on yes. CD and stuff he like had, that. You know, yes, so. Big Boy in uh, in in uh, Jimbocho in Tokyo. Yes. <clears throat> So what? Um, where did it go then? You you obviously hung around and and then headed off. So we're well, still. We see, so I, I hang out with Fujisawa-san. I've only got about an hour because again I've got to get back to. There's just no trains, you know. Um, and then I see a, a, a picture of of somebody wearing a Dolphy T-shirt in a picture behind the bar, and I'm like, oh wow. Those are really cool. I wish you still had some. He's like, I think I might have one somewhere. Let me see. No. So he goes and rummages behind it, and he pulls out a T-shirt, and the front is Eric Dolphy's Out to Lunch, and the back is just a red square that says Jazz Spot Dolphy Takanabe 1993. And believe me, I had my wallet out within a nanosecond to purchase one of those. And I'm so sorry, Philip. He only had one left. So... Couldn't get you one of those. I do have another present for you from the trip, but we'll save that for when you visit. Oh, that's good. That's something, I suppose. But I mean, wow. I mean, and, you know, that probably just, made up for your for your lack of uh, mug collection, did it? From another oh, Kyushu joint. I mean, um, I don't think it's a coincidence. The picture I took of Fujisawa-san outside his shop when he pulled the actual gate down because he's like, "Oh, you got to get a picture of the gate," and I was like, "Yes, please." Um, th- Unbelievably, that picture has probably gotten twice as much traction as anything else I've ever put up. So, you know, people... So three likes rather than... Unique. <laughs> well, we're not all professional photographers, you know. I mean, come on. <laughs> just a, just a, a humble humble podcaster here in Yokohama. So, um, oh, But that was, that was Dolphy. <laughs> that was Dolphy. And, and I mean, I came out of there on a high, uh, you know, I got the train back to Aoshima because I had an early start the next day to uh, get up to Fukuoka. And I think if by now people have been looking at a map, they may be thinking, why did you spend the third day of your trip going all the way to the opposite end of the island, to the northwest city of Fukuoka. Why not just stay down south? Philip, I think you mentioned it earlier. You know, the the Japanese rail companies are doing these amazing sort of like three-day or five-day passes where 
you can just hop on and off the trains. So what would have cost you normally $500 to make these various journeys, you can just hop on and off as much as you want for like $250. So I took advantage of that and I took the train from Miyazaki all the way down south via Kagoshima back around to Fukuoka City arriving in Fukuoka about two in the afternoon. And Fukuoka is one of those places like, I I mean, I have to confess, it's the first time I'd been to it was actually with you, but it's sort of talked about a lot. Like, I don't know whether we've, or I've built this sort of mysticism around it in my, or this mystique rather, whether I've built this mystique around it in my head, but like, it seems to be the kind of, there's something about it feels like an alternative in the sense that it's kind of what all it has all the good things about Tokyo without all the bad things like it's smaller it's close to the coast it's a bit more internationally minded it has that sort of like historical influence perhaps more so from from the countries across the the water China and Korea and there's just something like a vibrancy about it you know that seems at least in my head anyway to be kind of like all the good bits of Tokyo without the bad bits. And I know we talked similarly about Sapporo, but obviously the Sapporo, you've got like the extreme cold in the winter. And if mm. you're into like winter sports and stuff, then great. But there's something about Fukuoka. And I know certainly that when we visited together, I mean, I absolutely adored it. I thought it was a great place. Yeah, I, I had that. I mean, this was the probably the, I would say the fourth time, I think, fourth or fifth time I've been there. And 100% agree with you. It It's more navigable in Tokyo, but it's still a very big city. It actually is even more international. But as you mentioned, I mean, Fukuoka is closer to Busan and Shanghai than it is to Tokyo. So in non-pandemic times, it's always got thousands of tourists from Korea, China, Singapore, uh, even as far away as Australia. Um, it's surrounded by the hills, but it's on the water. It's got tons of canals. It's walkable. It's it's just fantastic. And of course, for my purposes, it's got some fantastic jazz joints. Um, so, you know, I, I got up there. I dropped off my bag. But rather than just staying in Fukuoka City, I couldn't get this close and not go back to a place that I think we must have spent at least an hour or more talking about on various earlier episodes. In the suburb of Fukuoka, 30 minutes south by train in Tosu City in Saga Prefecture is, um, to me, it's the temple of jazz. It's Coltrane, Coltrane. And I had to get back there. Um, You can go back and listen to our full, uh, I believe you called it, uh, what was it, five days in, was it five days in June? Our special series? It's the five days in June series, yeah. I think there's Mm. actually seven or eight episodes in the end so you can find that again in all the usual places but if you go to tokyojazzjoints.com you'll find it there in the podcast tab um and that was our our trip in Kushin. obviously we took in coltrane coltrane and quite a few other places mm. um in kyushu but a, a couple in fukuoka but i think probably again coltrane coltrane for for both of us and that's where i also had that experience that you've clearly had uh, on this particular trip of when we got there the first time uh it was a real dash that day we'd been um all over the island and we were really cutting it fine and we got there sort of about I think 30 minutes before he was about to close. And they were, of course, waiting for us. There's no other customers. 
Um, and I mean, it, the place just blew us away, didn't it? I mean, it's just right from the huge, you know, I don't know what, 20 foot tall mural of Coltrane on the, on the side <laughs> yes. of this green wooden slat building to yes. the, the repository of Coltrane history that he has inside both, you know, records, vinyl, and then just other memorabilia, right down to the cups and the saucers and, and the ashtrays. I mean, it's just a staggering place, isn't it? Completely, completely. And and it was really interesting to walk in for the second time, though, in a, you know, in a different state, not quite as harried. Yeah. Much earlier in the day, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, mm. cafe time. So I walk in. There are no other customers at the moment. Um, but I walk in and the old fella is sitting there and he's reading his newspaper, having a cigarette. And his wife is behind the counter and she's washing a coffee mug. So it's probably somebody had just left. But what was very interesting was this time there was a TV that I don't recall being there when we visited. A TV hanging sort of at the end of the bar towards the back right of the big room. And it's on, it's muted, but it's showing a baseball game. And uh, as some of our very uh, astute listeners may know, or if you listen to my own podcast, you'll know how big of a baseball fan I am. So for me to walk into Coltrane, Coltrane, which is, again, an absolute temple to St. John himself, to be walking in there, hearing the music, but also getting to watch a baseball game and having a beer, I thought I thought I had died and gone to heaven, man. I was like, this this is it for me, you know. I mean, this is pretty much everything I'll need, you know. So I sat down, just comp- I was like, and I wasn't going to be drinking. I was going to get a coffee, and then I looked at the time, and I was like, ah, oh, you know, forget it. I got to get a beer. So you know, they bring me a bottle of beer, and then I just kind of say to the couple, I say. Uh, maybe you don't remember me, but I, I came here about four years ago. It was quite late at night. You, you waited for us. And they looked at me, and they looked at me in about five seconds, and then she got a big smile on her face. And she's like, oh, I remember you, of course. You oh, came to I'm take so pictures. glad. <laughs> you know? And I was like, yeah, thank you. You know, I, I, you know, it was so rushed this time, and I'm back in town, so I had to come back to spend some more time here. And, and then, you know, and he actually, because I, I think we covered this on our episode, Philip, I thought that he was, I wouldn't say in bad health, but he was fairly old. I found out this time he's, uh, he's about to turn 80. Um, it could have been the time of day, though, because we got there so late. It was pretty late. Like, it was 10.30 p.m. and, you know. Yeah. He was much, much more energized and engaging. Oh, amazing. Talked to me about my trip. Talked to me about the baseball. Um, There was, by that point, another old guy who came in and sat down and were watching the game. And they were sort of ribbing each other because, (laughs) because one of them was a Giants fan and the other one was a Tigers fan, the big rivals of the Japanese Baseball League. Um, and they're both about 80 years old, you know. So they're they're talking about the baseball. Meanwhile, he's playing this unbelievably cool record by Youssef Latif, you know. So I'm like, I'm just I'm just having a ball, man. Yeah. And um, and then you know, so I talk to him for a bit. I go back to my seat, you know, to take some notes and just sort of soak it in, you know, because I'm mm. by myself and I'm like, okay, I don't have to rush now. I can just sit here for the next hour and and soak it in. 
And she comes up and she gives me a small plate with a manju cake, manju, a little Japanese sweet. And she's like, oh, here, this is for you, you know, some service. And I was just, man, Philip, man, I was just. Uh, like, that's God, amazing. I'm just looking at the photos, the actually, and, and just remember living it, living it through your, your, your second visit. But uh, the, the TV is actually there, but we just didn't notice it. It was off and it, it's mm -hmm. actually just hanging over by the, by the right hand speaker. So it's obviously been oh, there, okay. but um, just looking at it, I mean, the photos just bring back that night of like what a mental sort of mad day it had been. And then mm. just looking at that room of like him in that room with those records, just all filed beautifully. And then just like little random things like the hat hanging up. There's a boomerang above the DJ, <laughs> the sort of like the, the music room. Mm. And then obviously the, the pile of T-shirts and sweaters that they were selling over on the right hand side. I mean, it's just... What a place. Like, I mean, it just is incredible, really. Well, I, I asked him about I asked him about if he had any more goods to sell. Uh, because remember we bought sweatshirts. Yeah, of we course. Yeah, yeah. And um and he said, Oh, you know, he's actually getting some more made because next year is the fortieth anniversary of mm. the place. And so I was like, Okay, you know what? That's great. I'll be here. I'll come back down. And yeah, I'll, for sure. I'll pick up. I'll pick up some more because he was actually wearing the the kind of like not the sweatshirt. He was wearing the sort of like the thin rain slicker. You know, it doesn't get very cold down in Fukuoka, so it's just this kind of thin one with a little hood, um, and it has the Coltrane Coltrane like you know logo on the back with the address and and the picture of John. You weren't tempted um, to to add to the Ranko collection. I, you know what? I was really tempted to be like, hey, could I just, could I just buy yours? You know, because it rains a lot in Yokohama. You know, you don't need it. You just live, you live above the bar. You don't go outside, you know? But uh, no, I thought that maybe would be a little bit pushy. And I didn't steal the plate that the manju cake came on. Cause, Good. You know, again, I'm glad to hear it. It, it went through my mind. That seems like that would be bad either. karma, I think. I, I think that would be insulting to them and to the legacy of St. John's sort of teachings. There you go. So, um, but but yeah, all of the all of the, the the coffee cups and the ashtrays and the mugs—they're all still there behind the bar. The photos of the sound system, the the, the record booth in the back—it's uh, all still there. And uh, but he was he was telling me he said you know they they've been able to withstand the pandemic because. They don't rely on live sessions. They only have live sessions very occasionally there. Right, yeah. Because they do have that you know, uh, sign up, don't they, behind the counter of a, a band called <laughs> The Blue Trains. Uh, or the Blue right, Trains right. for yes. anyone who doesn't speak Katakana. But uh, yeah, the Blue Trains. So they obviously do have some mm. live music. But like you said, it's not, mm. a, it's not a kind of a standard thing. Yeah. And, and while I was there, you know, I mean, it was, again, it was Saturday afternoon at 4 it wasn't, you know, there's was only two other people. There was the old guy watching the game um, with the owner. And then a, a, a quite older lady as well came in, obviously a regular. She sat down, didn't even say anything. And then uh, the mama-san of the place immediately made her a cup of coffee, whatever she usually gets. And they just started bantering together for about half an hour, Amazing. you know, talking and laughing and giggling and whatever. And um, it was just so it was so warm, and but it was a very different experience, obviously, Philip, to what you and I had got when we had to race there. We didn't know what to expect, and and they 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 made it very much a presentation when you and I went. Like this is yeah, this, and, and I think this is my Coltrane collection. Yeah, know? and we could have probably stayed longer too. I think it had it. You know, we we were very conscious. Like there wasn't, there didn't seem to be much 
flexibility on the time, which is totally reasonable, of course. Like, you know, that's mm. what we expected. But, you know, had they sort of said to us, like, you know, it's late, you've come all this way, like, let's stay open. Mm. But in fairness, you know, they're a, an elderly couple and it was like 11 p.m. on a weeknight. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. we weren't expecting anything else. But, yeah, it must have been nice to just go in a slightly less rushed manner and, and really, like, soak it in, you know? Oh, for sure, for sure, and, and you know, so so I sat there. I, I killed I killed a, a big bottle of Asahi, and then um, you know I made my greetings and I told them I said, "Listen, I'm going to be back, you know, either at the end of this year or next year." But uh, you know, uh, it was just such a such a thrill to come back to see you, basically. And they were really, you know, they were really sweet. They, I, I don't think that they get a lot of foreign visitors there. I wouldn't imagine so because it's a little bit outside the Fukuoka city. Um, but they were they were really wonderful. So after that, I I get back and I'm like, oh great, I don't have to rush uh, because the only spot that I want to get to now there were five other places in Fukuoka and the surrounding Greater Fukuoka area that we've yet to to visit you you nor I, and I contemplated making a a real mad rush to try and hit three or four of them. And I realized, well, one of them was scratched off because they were having a Bossa Nova vocals night. And uh, that's I mean, the right again, up your street, isn't it? You love that. You love, yeah, bo- you love you a listen, bit of Bossa. If you listen to OK Jazz, my music podcast, you know that that's probably wall not to wall Bossa Nova, isn't it? Usually $50 and then drinks money on. So I, I said, OK, let me scratch that one. The, other, the second place would have required you know, the train back to Fukuoka and then another subway ride out to a neighborhood. So at least another hour and a half to get there. And I decided, you know what? Miyazaki was so great. Culture and culture was so great. And I've got a plan at nine o'clock to meet someone at one of our favorite jazz bars, Brownie. I decided, you know, forget it. I'm just going to go get a ramen. Again, if you're in Fukuoka, one of the things you got to do is get a ramen. This is probably one of the ramen noodle capitals of the world. And so um, I'll spare you me getting lost walking around yeah, and practically looking for that could be anywhere anytime. But like yeah, we, we said yeah, six we said six Kyushu joints. So I mean five amazing places. Unfortunately for me, uh, I've only been to one of them so far. But they'll definitely be on the list for for when um, I hopefully return in in the autumn. So bring mm. it home then. Uh, let, take us to this sixth place. Like what? Where, where well, was it? So I mentioned uh, I mentioned earlier that that one of the ways that I learned about the Miyazaki places was through a Instagram uh, contact, now hopefully a friend, who goes by the name of Randy Rhodes uh, on Instagram. And um, maybe some of our heavy metal fans out there listening will remember the name Randy Rhodes. It was Ozzy Osbourne's guitarist who passed away at the very young age in the early 1980s. So Randy Rhodes has been posting a lot of jazz kisaten pictures from the Kyushu area in southern Japan, and he followed me years ago as well. So I, I sent him a DM in Japanese, and I said, hey, how you doing, uh, blah, blah, blah. And he told me about the Miyazaki places. And then uh, I said, yeah, I'm going to be in Fukuoka as well. Where do you live, by the way? And he said, oh, I live I live just outside Fukuoka. I was like, well, great. You want? I noticed that you go to Brownie a lot, that you're a regular there. Are, are you free? Do you want to meet up and, and have a drink? And he was like, yeah, that'd be great. You know, so oh, fantastic. Okay, so I, I grab a ramen. I make my way to Brownie. I walk in, um, and there's only one person there, <laughs> sitting at the bar, and it's uh, it's Randy Rhodes. It's at Mark Randy Rhodes. It's his name is Ishii San, 
And uh, I would say he's a little bit of an older guy than maybe I expected. Um, uh, it's hard to tell, but late 50s perhaps. But um, he's a Kyushu native. Um, he basically spends his free time going around to music places, primarily jazz joints. And um, just, you know, he loves to take pictures of them and take pictures of the records and do like the kind of stuff that you and I do, you know? Nice. So we, we sat down and we started to chat with... And Philip, you must remember Brownie, the owner, uh, Nakatomi-san, how unbelievably chatty and friendly Oh, I mean, uh, without a doubt, again, if, if you go to tokyojazzjoints.com, there's a section that we have now just dedicated to the owners, and it's, it's the portraits that I've been lucky enough to, to get of the owners. And the first one up, actually, is the owner of Brownie, and, and he's posing with Speak No Evil uh, by Wayne Shorter. And it's just got to be the most joyous... Like, just the happiest looking man. Like, I just, every time I look at that picture, I just, it just makes me smile because he's just so, and that, that, that really is him. Like, he was like that, wasn't he? We didn't just capture him. In- oh, no, a hundred percent. And even his Meishi, his, uh, his business card has Jasbar Brownie, a, a cartoon trumpet, and then a sort of like cartoon picture of himself with his glasses, his hat, and a gigantic smile. Yeah. You can see another, yeah, you can see the picture of him up at the Tokyo Jazz Joints site. You can see some on my Instagram feed at Mr. OK Jazz Tokyo. But yeah, he is like that. He's not putting it on. He's chatty. He's smiley. And he was, as you guys would say in your part of the world, on good form that night, yep, I believe. Yep. That's an uh, Irish expression. Thank, thank you for uh, making was, it understandable for me. Very, very on good form. He... <laughs> He was talking. It was interesting because so so Ishii-san, Mr. Randy Rhodes-san, was a a little bit shy, I think. Um, He seemed more of a kind of quiet character. Very nice and friendly, but but a little more quiet. But, but, you know, Nakatomi-san was talking a mile a minute. And somewhere along the line, we got on to exactly what my project and our project was. Okay. And that, yeah, I go around the country to visit these places, but we're also documenting them. Yeah, I've got my Tokyo jazz joints. We've got the Tokyo, um, you know, plans for maybe some more photo activities, et cetera, et cetera, right? And he was just like, wow, okay, that's that's really great. You know, what about, up, have you been all around up north too? And I said, oh, yeah. And of course, he went to Basie. And when I mentioned Basie, you should have seen his face. He got a look of disgust on his face. Oh, and I and, drama, and, listen, gossip. What is this? You... Well, you know, listen, we've talked a lot on this podcast about our experiences and how so often the jazz joint owners are, of course, they're all Japanese, but many of them are sort of outside mainstream Japanese society. Let's just put it that way. Okay. And so sometimes they're not bound by Japanese social norms where people tend to avoid direct speech and direct criticism. Nakatomi-san wasn't following any of that. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. okay. Gloves off. Gloves off. <laughs> he, he, made it, he made it very clear. He was basically like, ah, F that guy, man. <laughs> and I was like, what? what? He said the equivalent of that in Japanese. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, oh, no, I've been there once before. He's, he, he's arrogant. He's a nasty man. And I was like, really? I was like, well, you know, I went there and, uh, you know, we explained our project and stuff. And he's like, did you say that you were doing a media type project? And we were like, well, we didn't say media, but we said we were doing like a photo project. And he was like, of course he would do that because he loves attention. But I went up there and my friend was going to introduce me as a jazz bar owner from Kyushu. And he just 
wasn't interested in the lease. Didn't even invite us to our table. Very bad manners. You should always invite someone for a drink to your table. That's the proper way to be a host. Wow. And I was- This is I shocking. I saved that one for you, Philip. I knew you were going to like but that. But I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I say shocking, but I suppose, you know, we, we when we got a lift down to Basie, we did even get that intimation from the owner of Royce, right? Who had mentioned something about glass ashtrays flying through the air or some some sort of oblique <laughs> right. comment that we didn't dig too deeply into. And we, of course, just trying to be polite because he'd given us a lift just, just down, you know, like what was a five minute drive. But mm. I mean, these two places were functioning more or less in the same town. And yet when we sort of uh, out of politeness tried to say, look, you know, do you want to come in? Um, maybe rather naively, but he was like, oh no. I mean, there was no question of him joining us. So, I, and I and I think probably what that highlights is that, you know, that, we undoubtedly, you know, very much, I think the project is very much our take and our perception and our experiences of going to these places. And although there are sort of commonalities in terms of what you experience, like the atmosphere and the music, probably depending on who you are, you are received quite differently. And I mean, we've talked even pr probably less of an issue now, but we have talked as well in the past about, you know, these wouldn't necessarily have been spaces for women uh, traditionally either. And had women gone in particularly alone, they may not have got the nicest reception, you know, or they may not 100%. have been made to feel very welcome. So I think, you know, the, putting aside the, the commonalities and how incredible these spaces are, it definitely depends. And, and it's not that shocking perhaps to hear that because we had had a couple of references, even other people I think had described him as, as, uh, muzukashi, right? Which obviously just translates yes. literally as difficult if you don't speak Japanese. So there's definitely always mm -hmm. been a slight aura. And I think that's why we were so nervous when we went to meet him at Basie sure. and, and, and why we were so surprised perhaps as well that we did get that treatment, right? We got brought to the mm. table, we got plied with drinks and snacks and it's certainly not our experience of it, you know, and I know from well, watching. That, that, that's the that's the thing, right? Because if I think if we had, remember when we were speaking to the waitress, if we had just said like, oh, we're just some foreign tourists, can we take some pictures and, you know, whatever, he probably wouldn't have like welcomed us to the table and, and brought all the drinks out and given us a present. He gave me a present when we That's left, right, you know? Yeah. But because of the, the sort of project and his media exposure um, over the years, and you know what? I, I don't I don't blame him for that at all. It's, you know, more than deserving of it because his place is a legendary venue. But it was very interesting seeing Nakatomi's reaction. And, and I think there may be a little bit of a Japanese regional type thing as well. For I sure, I don't want to yeah. stereotype but the the general the general way that Japanese people will speak about people from Kyushu and people from the way north, which is where Basie is, right? Yeah, um, is you know a little bit similar to, for example, in the United States where I come from. Like you know the, the warmer climate people, a little bit more perhaps a little more mellow and more chilled out, and the people way up north in New England are a little bit more standoffish. Um, and Nakatomi-san made it very clear. He's like, yeah, great spot, but that guy, yeah, nah, no time for him at all. And you know, he wouldn't, you know, he's only, he's only going to talk to you if he can get into a magazine. <laughs> I was like, wow. And you remember, Philip, I mean, that's, listen, you lived here for one, 20 years. It's not very often that Japanese people you have literally just met are going to speak to you in a manner like that. I mean, Nakatomi-san doesn't know me. He met me that one time that you and I went there, right? Yeah. But he doesn't he doesn't really know me. And he's immediately speaking in a very blunt manner about someone else. Um, that's really unusual here. So I I I I was 
you know, furiously scribbling down notes and like thinking, wow, this was unexpected. But um, in any case, but, you know, it, Brownie is one of those places that to me, it's not, of course, the decor is lovely. It's a small bar. They've got tons of vinyl. He asked me, what do you want to hear tonight? And I was like, you know what? It's Saturday. Let's listen to something groovy. So he's like, oh, soul jazz, no problem. He proceeds to pull out four or five soul jazz albums that I've never heard of, never even seen before. And was just completely knocked out. You can see again pictures of that up on my my Instagram feed. But um, we had a you know we talked about a lot of other things with uh, Ishisan, my new friend, and he told me two anecdotes in particular that I have to share with our listeners. Well, we were talking about his experience as you run a jazz bar, like going to gigs. Can you get to gigs, et cetera, et cetera? If you're not promoting, and he was like, "Oh no, no, I, I always get to the gigs because I've done a lot of promoting. You know, I, I recorded at the Rudy Van Gelder Studio in New Jersey." And I remember, I think he told us that when we visited. Do you remember that? Yeah, that vaguely rings a bell, I think, yeah. So he had recorded at the Rudy Van Gelder studio um, as a sort of a producer uh, for um, a Japanese jazz musician. But the next thing he told me was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, occasionally it's only happened about five or six times. Um, a, a random American jazz musician will come in. And I was like, really? Down here in Fukuoka? And he's like, yeah. He said, the first time it happened, I almost had a heart attack because this guy walks in. It was an, a middle-aged black guy who came in with his with his wife. And Nakatomi-san said he kind of looked at him and did a double take and was like, Mr. Freddie Hubbard? And Freddie <laughs> no Hubbard way. just come in the bar. And, and he's like, yeah, you know me? And, and Nakatomi's like, of course I know you. <laughs> and he's, he's like, please sit down. And he proceeds to bring out a bunch of Freddie's albums and he has him sign them and all of that. And uh, and he starts, he's like, w w what are you doing here? You're not on tour. And he's like, no. at that point, Freddie wasn't playing because he, remember, Freddie Hubbard had been ill and he had ruined his, how do you say, his emboche? Emboche, you know, his the way the mouth on the trumpet. Yeah. He couldn't play for a while, but he loved Japan very much. So he decided to take a personal trip. And while walking in Tenjin area of Fukuoka, and the Tenjin area in Fukuoka is sort of the nightlife, the Shinjuku type area, right? And uh, he just happened to see the sign, Jazz Bar Brown. Amazing. And so he popped in and came up, and and they he started asking him questions, and Freddie Hubbard just was like, oh, I remember that one. And he was like, he didn't talk about playing with Grant Green or Herbie. He was like, Paul Chambers. Paul Chambers. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, Freddie Hubbard just kept saying, when you play with Paul Chambers, you knew you were playing jazz. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> that is just so, so cool. Listening to jazz musicians give respect to other jazz wow. musicians in a bar in Fukuoka. I mean, could you just picture that scene, man? You know, absolutely wonderful. I was, I was overjoyed. And by this point, I probably was about six drinks in. So you Damn. can imagine that, you know, I started getting quite animated. Six, six drinks in, you usually start thinking you're Freddie Hubbard. <laughs> Damn, six drinks start, in. Ready to start pulling that trumpet out and blowing horn, man. So yeah, it was, it was, a, it was an amazing, it was just a, a wonderful evening in a wonderful jazz bar and a great way to wrap up the trip. And so, uh, you know, at a, probably around about 11 or so, uh, I say goodbyes. I told uh, Ishii-san, I was like, listen, I'll be in touch with you. Uh, and, you know, and then uh, 
So I make my way home. Anyway, the last thing, a couple days later, uh, I get on Instagram. I'm starting to like put up one or two pictures. And then I see this really, really nice post uh, from Ishii-san where he, he doesn't actually tag me. But he says like, oh, I was at Jazz Bar Brownie again and had a wonderful night of discussion. I met this guy and it's the first foreign person I've ever met. And he goes around Japan visiting jazz places and he knows everywhere. It was an amazing conversation. And all of a sudden it kicked into me. It's like, oh man, that's why Ishii-san was a little nervous. He's never met a foreigner before. This guy's literally never talked to a non-Japanese person before. And then I show up in the bar just gabbing away about, hey, I was in Miyazaki visiting all these places you told me about, you know, <laughs> like being my completely usual, overly enthusiastic idiot self. It must have been a little bit overwhelming for him, you know? That's astonishing, like, though. I mean, I, I never met a New Yorker. I just feel a bit sorry for him that the first foreigner that he ever spoke to was you. But putting that aside, I mean, it, 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 it is amazing, really, isn't it, when you think about that? I mean, I know certainly when I first went there, Quite often, I you know I worked the first three years in a junior high school, and sometimes you would get letters from you know kids, and this was in urban areas like Yokohama, where they would say, "Oh, you know, you're the first foreign person I ever spoke English to," and and you know that even seemed sort of amazing in the late nineties. But to think like someone's lived you know that long, like an older man has never had the opportunity, just shows you how. You know, if you go to Tokyo and and places like Osaka and Kyoto, you know, you see a lot of non-Japanese and you tend to think oh Japan's quite international but really it just shows you as you go further out like it's still you know really not uh, there hasn't been that same penetration of you know tourism and the same penetration of people moving and and like settling in Japan who are not Japanese and and it's astonishing I think it's a really nice way to finish too James because you know amazing trip obviously incredibly jealous but just to to finish on that <laughs> Freddie Hubbard story you know again just brings it back to this idea that you know these places are in some ways shrines to to certain musicians or certainly to jazz in general but also you know, a lot of these places have, you know, been inhabited quite literally by the spirit of some of these jazz musicians to which they're dedicated. And I just think it's fascinating to to try and cast your mind back and, and think of these people that we deify, you know, these incredible musicians wandering around the streets in Japan the same way that we do, and then coming into these bars where they're, you know, which are just set up to... to to worship and and to celebrate this music that they're part of. And, and it's just fantastic. And it's made me even more ready just to hopefully get back and fingers crossed uh, and uh, that the Japanese government will change eventually over the next couple of months, well, the travel rules. Breaking news, breaking oh. news. Say, I saved it for you. You know, you love a little bit of breaking it's news. It's never complete without some of your breaking news. This better be good. Don't get me excited. Good friend, good friend of the program, Nick Dwyer, a uh, very well-known um, music journalist yep. and TV host and radio host, producer. He does it all from New Zealand. He has been locked out of Japan since the beginning of the pandemic. And I got a text from him. He has just arrived back in Tokyo. And so it looks as if people who are coming back for work or people who are coming for business or for tourist reasons can now enter the country given they have the right paperwork. So this is this is absolute breaking news from just a day ago. We don't know how things are going to be in the next several months when you're planning it, but let's wait and see. But, but fingers crossed, things are looking better. 
And uh, yeah, man, I've got a, a long list of places to share with you in addition to the ones you've already listed up. We had a lot more jazz joints to visit. And um, yeah, we're going to have to get to them all. And uh, just to make you a little jealous, I do have another little plan, a uh, little weekend planned away in Sapporo next month. Seven more joints. So um, that could be about two or three episodes, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Um, <laughs> anyway, listen. Thank you to all of you for listening. It's really nice to be back and we're not uh, not doing it because uh, we've not got anything to say, but we just thought we it was a good time to take a break. What we'd ideally love to do is when I get back in autumn is to obviously then have another season of the podcast uh, and share our experiences and share our adventures and the new places that we go to together um, with you. In the meantime, there might be one or two things happening. So please keep an eye on tokyojazzjoints.com. Please keep an eye on at Tokyo Jazz Joints on Instagram. And also we're still before anyone sends a message to ask, we're still planning to try and put out a book this year or next year. So if anyone who's listening has any contacts, any, uh, uh, thoughts or ideas on that uh, we're always looking for publishing it's not a cheap thing to do as you'll, anyone who's put out a book will know when it comes to photography we're looking to do it in the right way with the right person uh, if anyone also has any ideas of sponsorship or any way that we can get back to Japan and get some funding behind the project because we've funded it all ourselves until now please do reach out and give us a shout but we're not here for the money we're just here to share our experiences and it's an absolute pleasure to be able to do it with all of you so Thank you again for listening. Please like, please share our content, uh, send it on to people you think might be interested. And James, until we reconvene again, take it easy and look after yourself. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you as always. As usual, buddy, nothing like better than talking jazz joints with you, my brother. Take it easy.